Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. In these four weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the parables that Jesus gave. And today we're going to start with what I will call the three-in-one parable. It's found in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read for you the first 32 verses. Yes, that's a lot of verses to read today, but these verses set in context three parables that are actually one parable. So they're what I call the three-in-one parable because they all teach the same lesson. Let me start for you in chapter 15 of Luke, verse number one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. We must not run past that. Here's a group of people that often gathered around Christ tax collectors, those who were despised by their brethren in Israel because they collected taxes for Rome and they they became wealthy at the expense of their brothers. And sinners, those that did not abide by or live according to the law. But you would often find that in Jesus' ministry, these were the kind of people that would be around him. Now notice what happens in verse number two, but the Pharisees, that's an important understanding here because now we're going to see a group of religious people, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they were, they were offended by this. Then Jesus told them this parable. He said, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story that will illustrate a point for you. You're opposing the fact that these sinners are sitting with Jesus. And Jesus said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose, so he continues the same theme. It's not a different parable. It's a continuation of what he's just described. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. So now we've gone from the sheep to the coins to the sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off from a distant country, and there he there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Could not have been anything more humiliating, more contaminating, more devastating to a Jewish young man than to be sent into the fields to to feed swine or pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, would you read that phrase with me? When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here we have a three-in-one set of stories, a combined set of stories that illustrate the concept, the biblical principle of lost and found. The first thing we must understand from this story is that everybody experiences loss in life. Loss is a part of life. And Jesus is teaching us about lostness. All of these stories are about something that is lost. There's the loss sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. Say that with me, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. So all of these three stories start with this idea, this concept of lostness, because it's something we can all identify with. There's not a single person in this room today that has not gone through some level of lostness in your life. You've lost spiritually. Maybe you've wandered away from God. I'll come back to that in a moment. Maybe you've lost some relationships in your life. Maybe you had a marriage that didn't work out or a friend that deceived you or a friend that dropped you somewhere in the journey or someone you thought would be there for the rest of your life and they're no longer a part of your life or maybe someone that passed on from this life to the next life and you've had relationship losses. You've gone through those kind of situations. Some have faced the loss of, of resources. You've lost money. Maybe you you made a bad investment and you had a good, nice nest egg and you don't have that anymore. Or maybe you lost a job or maybe you've lost your health, but we all go through various kinds of losses. Maybe you've lost a serious battle morally in your life, emotionally in your life. There's not a single person in this room today or those watching us online or those that are gathered with us in Frederick that has not gone through some kind of loss. In this story, there was a lost sheep, there was a lost coin, there was a lost son. A shepherd had lost a sheep, a woman had lost a coin, and a father had lost a son. And in each of these situations, there's a crisis. 
Because when there is a loss, there's always a crisis. It might be a small crisis or a large crisis. If you've ever lost a loved one, you realize what it feels like in the moment of loss. You feel a crisis moment in your life. It may not be major. It could be very major. But all of us, when we face a loss, we go through a crisis. And the most serious crisis, crisis that you'll ever face in terms of lostness has to do with your relationship with God. That is the most serious loss condition that any of us will ever experience in life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. Listen to what he said. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus said the most serious loss you can ever face in your life is the loss of not just a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of finances or the loss of fill in the blank, whatever it might be, but the most serious crisis point loss you'll ever have in your life is the loss of your soul, the loss of your soul now and for eternity. And so Jesus makes it very clear that he's talking about lostness in life and certainly the lostness of our soul. And you can be lost in your soul in so many different ways. In fact, all of us are born into this world as lost souls. Did you know that? In fact, the, the writer of the Psalms, David in Psalm chapter 51 says, In sin I was conceived. In iniquity my mother conceived me. So from the very moment that the egg and the sperm come together in your mother's womb, you were conceived in iniquity. There was a a nature inside of you and me that's a nature called a sinful nature, a nature that is rebellious against God. We enter the world not found. We enter the world lost. You came into this world a lost soul. You came into this world separated from God. In fact, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins or the iniquity of us all. Paul picks this up in Romans 3, 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And Jesus said, In Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So can I ask you this morning in your own life, where are you lost? You might think that your greatest loss is the loss of a relationship or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of fill in the blank. But our greatest need in life is the loss of our relationship with God and the importance for restoration in that relationship with God. And that leads me to the second point that we learned from this story today. The first one is loss is a part of life. It happens to us all. It's a very serious condition, especially, especially spiritually. The second principle is this. You and I need to believe that recovery from loss is God's plan for our lives. I'm going to say that again because I, I know you lost an hour of sleep last night. I get that. I did too. So I need your help. All right. You're going to help me out today. All right. Here we go. So you got to believe that recovery from loss is God's plan for your life. Amen. Okay. That's what this story is all about. See, lostness in all three of these parables coming together with this one parable, this one theme. All of these stories point to the fact that lostness was not the end. The lost sheep was found. The lost coin was found. And the lost son was found. He came back home. 
And so Jesus gave us this very important principle. He's trying to teach the Pharisees and us as well that God is in the business of recovery. That God, our Heavenly Father, is in the business of recovering and restoring lost things. And most importantly, He recovers and He restores lost people. There is. I will announce to you today, there is no loss in your life, including the lostness of your soul that is beyond the ability of God's love and grace to help you recover and restore you in your life to wholeness. Nothing is beyond God's ability to bring restoration to you and find you in the midst of your lostness. Nothing. This is the story. And this is, this is discovered in all kind of places in the Bible, not just here in these parables. It's, it's, it's really enforced to us multiple times. 800 years before Jesus was born, Almost a millennia before Jesus was born, there was a a time in Judah's history when Judah, the the southern portion of Israel, had disobeyed God. And and because of disobedience, God had proclaimed judgment upon them to try to get their attention and bring them back to relationship with him because they were lost. They had lost their way with God. And God says, I've got to get you back again. And so I'm going to get your attention. And he sends judgment upon them in the form of locust. And the locust comes into the southern kingdom of Israel and these locusts eat up all the crops and they lose their financial stability and they lose all kind of resources because the locust is eating away everything. And then God raises up a prophet by the name of Joel. And God sends Joel to the same people who are experiencing this terrible loss. And he says, you go tell my people to return to me. And if, if, if they will return to me, I'm going to do something for them. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, listen to what God says to these people who've lost so much by reason of the locust. The Lord says, who said it? Not the pastor. Not a good friend. Who said it? Here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. I think that's a good shouting point right there, isn't it? I will give you back what you lost. I will give you back what you lost. One translation says, I will restore to you what the locust has eaten. This translation in IV says, I will give back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. That's a whole bunch of locusts right there, okay? And they've done a lot of devastation, and God says, even though you've lost all of this to, to these swarming insects that have eaten away at your resource, I will give it back to you. So in the story, we are reminded of the fact that God is the God who finds lost things. The shepherd found the lost sheep. The woman found the lost coin. And the father and son found each other again in relationship. So vital for us to remember, so important for us to understand. Here's our third lesson for today. This parable also teaches us that you and I need to accept some responsibility for our recovery. All three of these stories emphasize responsibility on the part of, of, of someone in the story. Let me see if I can explain that to you. Let me say this before I lay this out in the, in the parable for you. If you want to get back to where you need to be, you've got to do some things in your own life. You can't stay where you are and expect to go forward in your life. You've got to take some steps in the right direction. 
And in all three of these parables, we see responsibility. We see action. See, God's going to do something for you. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. He's the God of restoration, but he restores people who take responsible steps in the right direction. You can't just sit back and hope that God's going to do something in your life. You've got to take some steps on that journey as well. God expects something of you and me. See, remember the story of the lost, the lost sheep? It was the first parable. We read it a few moments ago. Well, how was the lost sheep found? The shepherd took the responsibility to go and look for it. The second story was the lost coin. How was the lost coin found? Well, the woman took the responsibility to get her flashlight out, if you will, to get her little oil lamp out and to go searching through the house and sweeping all the corners to find that she had to look for the lost coin. So again, she accepted responsibility. How about the lost son? How did he find restoration with his father? He made up his mind that he was going home. He was no longer going to live in the pig pen of life. He said, I'm getting up and going back to my father. And how about the father? He had a responsibility too. What would he do when his son came back home? How would he treat him? And we see that the father takes the responsibility to treat his son with compassion. And all of these stories we see very clearly, very clearly this responsibility that is taken on every part. And what I want to say to you today is that there's something that you can do in this process There's something that God wants you and I to do. He wants you and I to take some responsibility. Now, I want you to see how this story unfolds because I want you to see now, especially the third part of the story. Because parable number one and parable number two really focus in and bring us to an understanding of the third parable. Because the first two parables are fairly short as Jesus gives them and they point to the third parable and that was the story of the prodigal son. And all of the attention and the length of the story really is, is built out. And the, and the searchlight or the spotlight of the story goes on to this point as Jesus is concluding this teaching. So let's be reminded of what happens here. Because we're going to see this responsible moment on the part of the son. Remember how the story unfolds. The son, the younger son, there are two sons in the family. The younger son goes to the father and says, I want my inheritance now. In essence, what he was saying is, I wish you were dead. Because the time you got your inheritance was when someone died, right? So in essence, he's disrespecting, totally disrespecting his dad. So I just wish you were dead. Give me your, my inheritance now. I don't even want you to be alive anymore. And so the father gives the inheritance to both sons, not just the younger son. Read the story. He gives the inheritance to both sons. And then, of course, we know that the younger son gets his money, and he's all proud and arrogant. He walks out of the house, says, I'm going to go do my thing. And he goes and takes his money that he's received and the resources he's received from his inheritance. And the Bible says he squandered everything he'd received from his father, squandered it. Interesting word in the Greek language. We don't have time to study that today, but it's just the concept is complete wastefulness, total irresponsibility. No responsibility at all. Just letting life happen, doing whatever he wanted to do, doing what he felt like doing. And of course, as we mentioned a moment ago, where does he end up? He ends up feeding pigs, taking care of the swine as a Jewish young man. And he's wishing I could eat. He said, I just wish I could eat something that the pigs are eating because I don't have anything to eat. And the Bible says he got to the place where no one would give him anything. Think about that for a moment. He started out receiving, being given a massive inheritance from his father. And by the time we see him at his lowest point, no one would give him anything. 
That's how irresponsible he had been in his life. And he finds himself in this very sad state. But there's a hinging point in this story. Everything turns on one little phrase that I had you to read with me a few moments ago. That phrase is this, when he came to his senses. Say that with me. When he came to his senses. This is the turning point in the story. You'll not understand the story. In fact, it would be a very sad story if we didn't see this part of the story. Right? So Jesus illustrates the turning point, the responsible point for this young man. Because again, do you want recovery in your life? I'm I'm asking that question. Do you want full recovery in your life? Do you want God to recover you? Do you want whatever's been lost to be recovered in your life? Your lost soul, your lost dimensions where you miss certain things out in your relationship with God. Do you want that restored in your life? It's amazing what happens when we come to our senses. There was this moment when this young man came to his senses and all of this turning point happened for him that sets him up for the, the amazing restoration that he experiences from his father. And in fact, what he does is he comes to his senses. He says, i got to get back home. The best decision I can make is to get back home. And so he starts thinking about what he's going to do when he gets back home. And the first thing is that i got to have a speech. i got to have a speech when I get back home. i got to tell daddy something. What am I going to tell him? Because the last thing I told him by my actions was, I wish he were dead. What am I going to say to him now? Look at verses 18 through 20 again. It's going to be on the screen for you. He's come to his senses and he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he writes out, if you will, he he develops his little speech. I can just imagine he's got three by five cards in his back pocket. Like, what am I going to say when I get there? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is not an insincere statement. He just wanted to make sure he knew exactly what to say to his dad because he realized that he had now come to his senses and he'd made some major mistakes in his life. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So here he is setting out for home with his speech memorized, and he's owning the responsibility for his life And this is key because he would never have experienced recovery had he not been willing to own responsibility. And the same is true for you. God is not going to do everything for you. He's going to do some amazing things for you. But it starts with you making the decision to turn your life in the right direction. And I am talking to someone here today. I know that by the Holy Spirit, I'm talking to multiple people here today that your future is hinging right now on you coming to your senses. And realizing that the way you've been going is not the way that you need to go. And here's the beautiful thing. What you have been does not need to determine what you will be. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart. Something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ. To make Him the Lord of your life. To turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. And it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words. Jesus, 
I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.